Welcome. In this new episode of My Time with Radha, I speak with Swami Radha Tarananda about her time with Swami Radha. We discuss the importance of movement and the power of dance as a disciple offers new glimpses of her guru. Hello, Swami Radha Tarananda. Uh, hi there, Katie. It's such a pleasure to be here with you in person at your Shodra Ashram. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I'm so glad it's happening this way. Yeah, me too. Would you like to begin with the Divine Mother prayer? All right. Oh, Divine Mother, may all my speech and idle talk be mudra. All actions of my hands be mudra. All eating and drinking be the offering of oblations unto thee. All lying down, prostrations before thee. May all pleasures be as dedicating my entire self unto thee. May everything I do be taken as thy worship. Namaste. Namaste. Wonderful. Well, I'm so looking forward to hearing about your time with Swami Radha. And I think it would be a good idea to just start from the beginning. How did you first meet her and how did you first meet the teachings? Yeah, they were pretty close together. I had recently had moved to Saskatchewan. I was in my third year of university and I had taken already two years of uh, Hatha Yoga at uh, Carleton University in Ottawa that was offered freely and I loved it. I just loved it. And when I came to Saskatchewan, I was looking for something. And I happened to, in the university setting, saw on a bulletin board in a hallway, Kundalini workshop offered. And there was a phone number to call. There weren't emails at the time. And so I followed that through. And it was somebody from Calgary. Her name is Hilda Pizarro. And she was coming to offer a workshop, and I didn't know anything about kundalini yoga. And I'd actually taken one class in Ottawa at Carleton that was kundalini yoga, which was very different than what I, what I found out the ashram offers. And so Hilda came, and on that weekend, she stayed at my place, and she told me about Swami Radha and about the ashram, and I applied immediately to come to take the YDC, which at the time was called the YTC, mm -hmm. and I was accepted. And she said in that weekend, she said, Somirod is also going to be coming through Calgary in October. Why don't you come? And so I, I said yes, and made my way to that workshop. I think I met Hilda in September, and I met Somi Radha in October at a workshop there. That was my first meeting of her. And she was at the end of a road trip, so I think it's been said in other podcasts that her mission, as she saw it, was to update the teachings for the Western mind. 
but she also saw that what she needed to do was put the ashram on the map, as she called it. So she did a lot of traveling. And she was at the end of one of her very long trips. So I met her in Calgary at a person's house on the Friday night. And she looked so tired. And, you know, everyone was looking at her and she, she said, don't ask me if I'm tired. Uh, that doesn't help. <laughs> that, was, that was her intro. And so I really liked her immediately. And, and I, I had this kind of heart-to-heart connection with her. And at that workshop, she talked about love and she talked about relationships. And she, she said something then about how two lovers can be watching a sunset together and they think that they're one and that's a unified experience. And she said, but in fact... They're two separate people having different experiences. And I was in a relationship at the time, and I went, she speaks to my heart. This, this really speaks to me. And I just started to cry. And, uh, and she saw that, and she saw me in that. And she held me at the end of the workshop, and she made sure that I felt okay. And then uh, I said, I'm coming to the ashram in... January for the YDC or the YTC, and she went, "Oh, okay. Well, then I'll meet you there." <laughs> so that started that started our relationship. Wow, what a tender moment and meeting! Mm-hmm. It was quite it was quite something. The interesting thing for me in that was it started a a deep dive for me, which what I I was longing for. I had been to India and had kind of an awakening unexpectedly. And when I came back to Canada, I didn't, I longed for that, what I thought of as India, and I longed for something. And I met all of that and more in Swami Radha and the ashram. So there was that part of me that was longing for something. Hmm, Something greater, yeah. And I mean, you already mentioned that you were in your third year of university. So how old were you? Uh, when I met her, um, I was, that year, I was uh, 23. Wow. Yeah, I was very young. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you meet her in October and you come to the ashram for the first time in January. Yeah. What was that like? That was amazing. That was quite amazing. I took the YTC. Again, we're calling it yoga development course now. But in that, I... I'm, Swami Radha was there, and she said, "Do don't I know you?" And yeah, so there was that that meeting again, and I I was very vulnerable at the time. I was in my I finished my third year of university at that point. Oh no, I hadn't quite finished. I had four more courses to go, and I was really wondering about whether to finish or not. And that was what I brought into that that why that question of whether to carry on with my studies or not. But I remember sitting in the in the classroom pretty soon on and going, everything that's offered here is what I want. Like I was studying psychology and I was learning a type of psychology that didn't speak to me. But here the teachings just spoke. It was quite amazing to realize that. 
And I remember the, like the in, there's snow in January, and I remember the the snow just lightly falling, and I looked out the window and thought, I want to be here forever. And I know that many people have that experience, but there was something that was, I was just so touched by, by what was happening. And I was also working through a fair amount. Most of us are, but I was as well. And I cried halfway through the, the YDC. I felt so vulnerable and tender. And, and then, I, and then uh, a dance class was offered. And that was, that was quite something. There were two people here who are no longer here. One of them's coming back to visit in a couple of weeks. But they presented the, what's called the ashram prayer dance. So they just gave a demonstration of it. So here I was finding the course really challenging. And they danced. And I was just transfixed. And I went, I have to learn this. And I stopped crying. I was like, I found something that was so deep for me that that I could then make my way through the rest of the YDC and I somehow tapped into an inner strength and I learned the dance and practiced and practiced it. I just loved it. Learned how to do the hand mudras, the whole the whole bit. So that was my meeting Swami Radha and coming to the ashram and going, This is it is out of this world, which it is. It's not like the regular worldly life, as you know, but it touched, it touched something in me. Yeah, and we'll touch a little bit more on this topic of dance in a little bit, but I can relate to that, that quality of the ashram prayer dance and how it fits into the yoga development course. For me too, I feel once it started, the training of that dance, it was like, Okay, now I have somewhere to put all my emotions into. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It gives a place for it. I think we all have emotions and we all have a longing. And I, for me, I find the dance meets both. It allows an emotional expression. I don't have to repress. I have a place to go to. But at the same time, it elevates and it refines. And I find it, my movements are more subtle and what I understand becomes more subtle. Yeah, it's just an amazing practice. And so after you did the YTC, YTC at the time, mm-hmm. how did your relationship with the teachings and with Swami Radha develop? What happened next? Mm. Oh, there was a lot that happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as there usually is. <laughs> as there usually is. I uh, stayed on for the summer and and I, uh, again, really wanted to be here. And during the YTC, I realized I needed to go back to Saskatchewan for one year. And to uh, there, was, there was different reasons for that. Uh, and one of them was that I needed to complete things. So I went into the YTC saying, I don't need to finish this because what they're offering is not what I want. But what I realized is it wasn't about what was being offered. It was more about bring things to completion. So that was, that was part of it. There was uh, a relationship there that I needed to bring to completion, even though I'd started a process during the YTC. I needed to bring it to resolution. So I was going back for that. And I also had received scholarship money to come to the ashram. So I, I was... 
uh, given scholarship to be able to come. I was young. I worked really hard to earn the money to come, but I was given 50% of it. And, and I, in that was the commitment to bring the teachings back to the province that I was living in. And Solirada had picked people from each province to give scholarships to because what she wanted to do at the time, and it's still part of what is being offered, but she wanted to show that yoga has a lot of depth. And so what was popular at the time and still is, is Hatha yoga. But she wanted it to be known that there's just much more, there's much more available than the poses themselves. And so she wanted to train people. And that's what the YTC was about. And train people in order to go back to their province and to offer what they can. And so I was following through on that commitment as well. And what I did was to offer dance to children. <laughs> and I also started to teach. I had been teaching yoga classes, and I kept on teaching yoga classes. And I completed my university degree. I only had four courses to go, as I mentioned, to get my honors. And, and then I also brought to resolution the relationship that I was in, and it was time to move on to more. So that, that was a year of doing that. And in that year, Somirata came through Saskatchewan, uh, Regina, and I received a call saying Somirata is here at this person's house, and would you like to come over and meet her? And so I got on my bicycle and cycled over to meet her once again. And I walked in the door and sat on the couch and looked at her and said, I want to come back to the ashram to live. And I had had that thought in my mind, but I hadn't gotten to that point of saying it out loud and stating it. And, and it was also coming up unexpectedly in me. Like, I knew that I wanted to be there, but to actually put it into words and articulate it. And she looked at me and she said, okay, so what do you need to do? And, and that just started another phase of our relationship. So I needed to then earn the money to come back and live at the ashram. And that, that started a relationship with her in a different way. And also she, she just kind of helped me to navigate what I needed, what I needed to do. And at that point, I needed to go back to Ottawa, which is where I was from. And I moved back in with my parents. I was, again, young. And I worked, and I worked two jobs, four in the morning until, until 5.30 at night to earn the money to come back. And in that, in that, she also said to me, she arrived in Ottawa too and gave another workshop and I just, wherever she was, I would show up. And she said, it would be really good if you were to study dance here in Ottawa and that you have something to bring back to the ashram. And so I started to take dance lessons and that was with someone who is no longer alive, but she was uh, Anne-Marie Gaston. And many people know her and took, took dance lessons from her. It's a certain kind of training. And so I was working these 
two jobs and taking uh, dance classes twice a week at nighttime. And then on my Sundays, I would just practice and practice and practice because I didn't have a lot of energy at the end of those those two jobs to earn the money. Uh, at the time, I was I was looking at also becoming a Montessori teacher. Uh, I wanted to bring more back to the ashram. I wanted to become a teacher so that I could work with the young children and teach within the ashram context. So I was looking at what it would take to train. And the kind of long story short with that is that Somirata said that would be good, but she, she said, you don't need to do that, but, you, but come back when you can. When you can, and so it took it took me. That was seventy nine when that all started, and I came back to live at the ashram in nineteen eighty one, and so it was that started another phase of our relationship. So the it was like a relationship that was continuing to develop and to, to develop, and it kept growing and growing. Yeah, and so when you did move here. Were you by then, I guess it had been a few years since you had done the YDC, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And oh, and I, I um, studied the book reports and, you know, I was doing what it still carries on because it was for everyone that does it, it's so amazingly helpful. And uh, I um, got my certi- certification. And so I especially uh, uh, specialized in teaching Hatha because that's a love of mine. And taught a lot of dance at the, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of dance, I think now's a good time to move to our theme, which I, I think I mentioned this to you. I often choose these themes for these conversations based on if I know the person well, like based on my relationship with them. And with you, I think one of the first meetings that we had was, uh, was dancing the... The dance to do the earth. I don't remember what it's called. The Yeah, what, and it's called the earth shloka. The earth shloka, yes. Yeah, the earth shloka. And so knowing your love of dance and my love of dance, I thought we could talk about dance. Okay. <laughs> and I have a quote from Swami Radha that I would like to bring in, bring her words into the room. And it's from Kundalini Yoga for the West in the section, Dance is Yoga. Yoga is dance. She writes, The dance is an expression of the manifest and the unmanifest, the spirit of eternity. Life is flow. Here, movement is truly creative, the highest expression of the human body. Mm, That's beautiful. It's so beautiful, yeah. The highest expression of the human body. And already you've talked a little bit about dance and your relationship with dance. So my question for you is, what does dance mean to you? And also, what is the dance of life? Mm, well, yeah. Well, I'll start with responding to what dance means to me because it, it so touched me, as I mentioned, with the seeing these two people dance. And I hadn't been trained in dancing, but I had started a little bit before when I first went to India. And I was with a large group of people, um, 
um, we learned a little dance, so at least a little East Indian dance. And then I would get up early morning with another friend of mine and we would practice the dance together. And we learned at that time to do this early in the morning, not because the texts say that it's early in the morning, but because it just gets way too hot later in the day. So that love, that love was already being kindled. And then coming to the ashram and finding out that Somi Rota was a dancer, like that was what she did and was a professional dancer. And she was in her body was so elegant and so graceful and flowing and poetic that I wanted to learn all of that. And so the dance, it, it just, it touched something so deep within me. And it's not that I'm the best dancer or the greatest dancer. It's that when I dance, my spirits lift up. It's like anything can be going on. And if I take some time to dance, it just, it lifts it. It doesn't change what's going on. There's still me and me having to meet whatever is in front of me, but I can meet it in a different way. And so that really helps. And being given a practice that allows for the expression of emotion and being able to bring all of myself into it and to let that emotion move through me and go away or settle in a different way. All of that seems very important to me and, and that the dance has just immediately kind of touches that part of me whenever I dance. It's a practice for me. It still is a practice for me. It doesn't mean that it's the same every day. It's not like a, an escape, but it's a, something that just helps somehow on my insides to bring a strength that I know that I wouldn't have. At the same time, Somi Rada taught us this, and I, and I loved it, was like it's a spiritual practice, and so you can, uh, are, and I can, is take my feelings and that longing for the divine and express it. And it's, just, it's safe and it's expressive. I don't have to repress anything that's going on. And it's a form of being able to bring that all into a whole. But it also, it does touch like deep in the cells. And there's things that I've learned from the dance just the practice of it, and I'm not talking about the dance of life and living, but the practice itself, where, again, it strengthens something in me, but I understand the divine in a different way. Like if I want to understand what a particular energy of a deity is, if I practice the dance, I start to tap into something that my mind could never figure out and no amount of reading would do it. It's just there's a relationship that starts to happen. And I don't when it's happening, it's so subtle I don't even notice it. But then I come to the end of it and go like, wow, <laughs> what's what's been happening here? Um <clears throat> when I think of the the dance of life, there's a movement that comes to mind and and you and I did that way back with the Earth Shloka, or not that way back, but several years ago now, where part of the, of the dance is to, to portray that the Earth becomes unstable 
and then it comes back into stability. And even that movement has informed me about my own consciousness or what happens inside my body of just allowing, you know, that sway back and forth and then finding that place of just real strength and stability. And I was thinking of last night of meeting Swami Radha and some of the memorable moments with her. And there's one situation that comes up so strongly and it relates to the dance with that with that uh, instability creating stability. Uh, do you mind if I just share that? Oh, oh I, I would love, love it. Oh, okay. I was. It, I had been living here for uh, six years at the time, and in that summer, there was a lot of what I would call the instability, like things were were blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, and uh, and everyone was affected. And people were leaving, and I was finding it difficult. And um, Swami Radha was just, you know, you could see that, how difficult all of this was. And yet she held her space and held the ashram and held the teachings and was really clear and lucid. And I had this thought come up that I had, I had a, already made a commitment to myself at the time. And that was, if I ever were to think of leaving, I would let Swami Radha know immediately. Because what I saw was people would just pack up in the night and be gone. And, you know, it would, it would be, that would be very challenging to deal with, both because of the, the person going and, you know, everybody trying to scramble to figure out what needed to happen next, but also the loss of the person. So, I had made that pact to myself. I had also seen that when people left, and I'm being very general here, so, but it was just kind of an observation. It's like I'd see that that happened and go, if, if they'd only stayed, there was something that they needed to meet inside themselves that, they, that instead they chose to depart, to move away from it rather than go into it. So here I was in that situation where I had opened a tarot deck to ask about next steps. And there was a card in it called the Wanderer. And I went, wow, there's a part of me that is not stable right here. And I don't understand what's going on. And so I, I followed through on my own commitment to myself. And I called up Swami Radha and I said, there's a card here, and it's the wanderer, and it seems to be indicating that I should go, but I don't want to go, and yet I'm confused. And she said, and this really describes like who this person is and the way that she taught at least me. She said, well, you have to make up your own mind, and I'll give you six days, and you can call me back and tell me what you decide. <laughs> The pressure was on, so she didn't try to convince me, didn't try to control me, even though I knew this would be difficult all the way around. And I sat on the back porch at Rada House, just sat on the porch and went, well, what do I really want? 
And like that was a moment of like that instability that the dance portrays. And and it was like, I have to be real here. And so instead of just going, I want this, let's open up all the options. And I'd never been thinking in that way. And it's like, well, if I didn't stay, what would I do? And when I looked at that, it was, well, I want to serve. I would go off to a third world country and I would serve. And then I then I looked around at, at everyone here and went, people come because they need help. And I want to serve. And I'm studying the teachings and I'm learning how to help people. I want to be here and I want to serve. Like it was it was like a meeting of myself. And I again it was I was new to the teachings and I hadn't known how to meet that. But it brought me into that place of, this is what I want, and it's next step time. And like I recognize that in myself now when things start to go all kind of wonky and bubbly. There's something my unconscious is speaking to me, my higher self is speaking to me. It's next step time. So I uh, called up Samirati and said, I really want to be here. I want to stay. She went, Thank you. And she hung up. <laughs> she wasn't like lovey-dovey, you know, or anything. She's always pretty straight, which I so respected in her. And then she came back and she spoke with me and she, it was like such a strong teaching. It was like it has stayed with me. And she said, you know, people come and people come in need and then they get the help that they need and then they go. And she said, it's a next step when someone then gets what they need and they give back from that place. So I hadn't put that together, but I had put it together. Like that was what was my decision, but it wasn't influenced by what, what she had said. And then she said, and there's, there's a couple of more things here. So she said, you were influenced by the people around you. So people were leaving it. And I at that point in my development, had not paid any attention or been aware of the influence that others have on me. So it started something in me, like developing my awareness and expanding it to go, what's me and what's not me and what's going on inside and what's true and, you know, really developing a stronger core for myself. And then she said something about the tarot, which I would not have been able to figure out. And she said, so the tarot cards, they're very, very helpful. And what they do is they pick up the top level of what's happening on your mind and they portray it back with symbol. And so your mind was starting to wander and the tarot showed that to you. She said, but the tarot in itself is not at all interested in your spiritual development. So it's like, of course it isn't. It's just a card. But again, knowing how to interact with the world of the unconscious and learning about my own unconscious and how to work with my dreams, like that's all taught here. And I was learning it. And now again in that learning, learning how to meet myself and go what to... I really want here has helped me throughout my life. And and the fact that she didn't coddle me 
And nor did she try to convince me of anything one way or another. Like she trusted me to trust myself and to tap into my own inner wisdom. She also knew how to let go. And she also knows, knew how to just start over again. So, I mean, we were, a lot of people left and then a new, a new phase started up and, and then she danced with it and we danced with her and there was a flow. So in terms of dance being part of my life, like it's, it's for me, it's it, if I get stuck, how do I, can I use the dance to get unstuck? Can I just open enough to allow the next step to emerge, to allow that flow? So there's been a lot there of learning. Wow, what precious learnings. No, they, they've been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and how about going a little bit deeper into what has Swami Radha taught you about dance and how was dance part of your relationship with her? Yeah. Well, she encouraged me. Like, she really encouraged me with the dance. And, you know, in retrospect, looking back at it, what I understand from what she did was a large part of her working with me as a student was to help me to build a sense of strength in myself. So sometimes when people come here, they're already strong and, and it might be from a bravado or look at me. I was the opposite, pretty introverted and shy and um, not that. So she was helping me to get strong on my feet. So she brought me in two directions and one of them was with the dance and really encouraging me to keep going with it. And she'd come back from a trip and she'd give me dance costumes to wear, the saris. And when and she'd have teachers come in. And it wasn't just for me, but it was part of our relationship and part of her relationship with others. There'd be Indian dance teachers come in and she'd have, she'd have them work with me and work with others. And we would then offer back what we had learned. And so she kept encouraging that because she saw how that helped people to open and it helped, it helped me to open. She also saw like my deep love of it. Like I was living here at the time and I would go to satsang each night and we had it in the beach prayer room, which now is still a beach prayer room, but small, tiny, because we were a small group. And then I would go up to what's now the library. It was Shiva Hall, and I'd practice dance after satsang each night. And then I'd come back, and I'd be the last one coming into the house, and I'd go, go quietly. And so she saw that. I wasn't trying to advertise that. I just wanted a time that I could practice the dance. But she saw my love of it, and she kept encouraging it with asking teachers to come in and you know, when, when a teacher would come in and offer the dance, we'd all just come alive. And it was very beautiful to see. And for me, that would touch the, the sound of the music, especially, would touch something in me and touch a longing that wanted to be met. It led to my wanting to be on the path forever or more kind of, kind of thing. And she saw that. So it was, she, she saw that it could help anybody. But she was also working with me and, and encouraging that with the gifts and the teachers and the, 
one point sent me off to Los Angeles to learn as well. And I've kept up that practice, except for the last three weeks when my knee has been a little bit something going off with it. A new dance occurring in your body. (laughs) A new dance occurring, yeah. And then, you know, in terms of living my life and dance being part of my life, like there's the effect of the practice, right? But it's also just watching the flow of life and understanding the flow and understanding how, like the dance gives expression to everything, is understanding that whatever's coming up inside of me, just allow it to move through because it needs a place to go. So let it keep flowing. And, and then the ashram is also structured, we might have been mentioned in other podcasts, but Somi Rada called it the a bamboo structure. So we have the structures that are part of daily life here, and that's the hatha in the morning, and then breakfast, and then our, our service and our work, and, and our lunch period, and then our dinner period, and our satsang period. Those are all kind of things that stay pretty stable throughout the day and throughout the year. And then everything else is, is organized, sort of, and everyone tries to be organized in their work, but it's so flowy. It's like I can be doing something one day and here's my plan, and then there's something else that's coming up. And for me, that's part of it is can I flow with it? And can I know when to keep my stand and when to... It's the next dance step. Can I move into this something else? And it also, in that, it's like I'm constantly asking myself, can I keep, can I be aware of when movement really wants to happen? Because my life does tend to have periods of a lot of activity and a lot of growth. And then it stabilizes and and it gives me time to integrate and then something gets integrated and it's time for the next dance step. And it, my, the way that it works for me is that it happens in kind of concentrated bits of time, like my moving from Ottawa last year to here. It was like, all of a sudden there's three months and I'm going to finish off everything here. I'm going to finish off my work and I'm going to do what I need to do with, with family relationships and and I was really very much involved with the yoga uh, center in Ottawa and bringing that to a place inside myself where I could say goodbye. I, that was always on my mind of, I know nothing's forever, and so how do I be here in a way that it just flows as I, as I flow on to the next step? So that's kind of the examples of... of of the dance part of the of uh, my relationship with Swami Radha is learning how to do that. And again, it's encouraged at the ashram all the time is keep flowing. Yeah, and just hearing you speak about that, I'm now thinking about even in the Radha Krishna dance, which I have been learning, or even if looking at the uh, Krishna dance with, with the gopis and with Radha and that, aspect that comes in of not getting too stuck in the movements or too stuck in what's actually happening. And there's that part in the myths that when the gopis kind of become a little selfish or a little 
think, oh, Krishna loves me the most. Krishna disappears and then they're left by themselves. And it's like, so how do you keep flowing? How do you keep the dance moving without getting stuck in those negative and almost destructive thoughts? Yeah, yeah. The the dance really helps with that. And uh, Sui Rota mentioned like all of the spiritual practices that we do are a, a gateway to higher consciousness. And so the dance, again, is one of those practices that can just lift the mind and lift the heart and everything lifts up. And and, and that's it. I don't have to stay in this stuck place. Like, I have so much choice. And again, part of the teachings here, it's it's known in other teachings too, but to to recognize the power of choice and to live from that place of, I have choice in every situation. Um, it's a powerful teaching. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm curious as to how things kept moving forward with you and your relationship to Swami Radha and to the ashram and, yeah, how things continued. Well, there was that memory that came to life when I started to think about about my relationship with her and her really helping me through difficult period. She didn't, again, she didn't coddle me. And then she really challenged me. Like I made the decision to stay. It was a deepening of my own commitment. And she took that as a clue to keep challenging me. And she would do anything to <laughs> to challenge me and to challenge my ego. But what that now in retrospect, looking at that, that was the that deepening of my commitment led to then my further commitment with her. That meant to further initiations in that I knew what I wanted. And she had said to me back in 1981, when I lived here, someone was initiated into sannyas in one of the big initiations. And I was invited to the after party of it. And she looked at me and she said, you'll be the next and, you know, I did not remember that. It was only when I was reading through my diaries and extracting conversations with her so that I could understand more of what my relationship was about with her that I came across that. So 1981, she said that. Somewhere in that, I started to talk to her about whether me as a mantra initiate. And there was a lot of back and forth with that. But it led to my decision to want to become a sannyasin or sannyasini, a swami. And, and in that, it was like she had also said to me, and this part I did remember when I first started talking with her, she said, you know, ask any question you want. So I asked the standard questions, or as I experienced them as standard questions. And, that, and then she said the next day, she said, well, the questions that you're asking, they're not the right questions. And she said, again, I didn't remember it immediately, but she said, when you're ready, the question that you'll ask is, you'll say to me, I'm ready, and the question is when. And there was a point in my development, that was in 1988, where 
It's like I wanted to take that step. I'd gotten really clear that this is what I wanted to do with my life. There's a story around that, but I was really clear about it. And she was very sick at the time. And I wrote a little note and I put, you had said to me once that when I was ready for sannyas, the question I would ask you is when? And I left it at her door. And the next day she said, so it'll be next month. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we had that kind of back and forth. It It was... She was she was tending to so many people, so many relationships, and somehow she took care of each one of us that time. And so things were were set in motion. And of course, that was a another life changing event. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I'm really learning through doing these podcasts and talking to so many different people who are her students is how much care and attention she gave each one of you who were all so unique and all came from, you know, different backgrounds with different personalities and different desires and dreams. And yet she met you all where you were at. Exactly where we were. I find that like, you know, she's on my mind a lot and in my heart and I'm living at the ashram and she's so present, like not physically or literally, but you can feel around and the love that's there and like I came from a background that had poverty in it and I met this woman who had been a millionaire and like I'd never met anybody of that stature or from that milieu before before meeting her and she was but more than that she was also a genius in her field and she had said she said, it's genes, like, it's like in, in this realm, she, she knows what she's talking about, the spiritual field. So she was a genius in that spiritual field. And it was outside of the box in many ways. And in that, it was like the individual attention that she gave to each of us. And in her presence, even though, you know, being who I was, I never felt that she was better than me. And at the same time, I had huge high respect for who she was, like that bow down kind of respect. And and how did she do that? You know, it was very amazing to see. Yeah, there's a couple of other like little phrases. I tend to, in my own personal life, have key phrases that help me to carry on. But she had said to me one time when I was seemed to always be going into difficult places but and I had come down to to Spokane to visit her and she saw what was happening for me and she just looked at me and she said so be a friend to all and that was like a again another life lesson of how to be interacting and you and I have talked about friendship and what that means and what you bring to completion and what you keep going. But what's on my mind all the time is be a friend to all. She had been told by her guru to be a spiritual mother to all. And she asked me to be a friend to all. So it it brings an awareness to me of here's this person, how do I how do I befriend them? And it that gives me a ground to stand on. 
I'll have to say this. There's another key phrase that she said to me. It was close to the end of her life. And I went to visit her in Spokane. She was living in Spokane at the time. And I walked across the room and came to her feet and bowed down. And she said to me, so your path is one of humility and gratitude. That's your path. Follow that. That was kind of one of her last messages, which again has helped me to form where I take my decisions, which kind of choices I make. Yeah, she really did speak to me a lot. Yeah. In in those ways, she spoke to my heart. And I had met someone who met me and saw me and and I distrusted her. And it was it was for me, it was like she would say things that other people couldn't say, but I would feel it in my heart and go, Oh, she speaks the truth here. And maybe I don't even understand it, but this is a life lesson. And this is one to keep reflecting on. And it wasn't that she told me to do that or anybody, but it was my heart speaking and going, follow this. This might be really hard, but follow it. Follow it through to completion. And then I was also learning how to meet what was inside me and not be afraid like anything can come up. Sanyas holds it all. The spiritual path holds it all. Anything can come up. And it what seems challenging is just me being able to come inside myself and feel it. And when I feel it, I know what to do with it. Because my training as a youngster was to suppress it. Don't feel that. And it would survival technique for me. I don't know what to do with this, so better not do anything with it. And now my path is learning how to feel what I couldn't feel then to allow it its expression as well. Yeah, as I'm hearing you say that, all I can think of is the image of just dancing with whatever comes. I think I have that dance really in my mind now. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could share if there's memories, like some favorite memories that you hold of Swami Radha and your relationship together that you could share with us. Yeah. You know what's coming to mind as you ask it? It's when I was living here, there was one summer when she was so busy. She was so active. You know, people come and people come in need and she'd be meeting with people. And it had been a challenging summer. And at the end of the summer, there were two guests that showed up. One was a professor from Saskatchewan, and he also was an author. And she and him were friends, and they had a deep relationship in terms of the spiritual teachings. And then his wife was this very lovely person that came along and kind of softened this scholarly professor. And they also spoke German, which was a big bonus for her. And she spent, they were here for about four or five days, and Swami Durganand and I saw, you know, how tired she was. Neither of us were Swamis at the time, but, and we had this idea together. Why don't we ask her if she'd like to just come out for a drive in the car and maybe we'll stop it for a tea if we can. 
And so we asked her, said, would you like to come out for a drive on Sunday with us in the car? And so that you can relax, you don't have to be Swami Radha, you can just relax. And she said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And so I was driving at the time, and we come into the back roads around here. There's a lot of back roads that I didn't even know about. We're just moseying along, and she kept asking me to slow down. And I was speedy, and so I was learning to slow down. And and then she said, why don't you stop here? And we were in front of someone's house. So we stopped there, and and the couple came out, and they said hi. And we said, oh, we're just driving around <laughs> the back roads here. And they said, well, do you want to come in for a cup of tea? So she said, she said yeah, that would be really nice. And so we come in to their tiny little wood cabin that they had built and the wife gets tea ready and she starts talking to the to the husband and she keeps all of her focus on him and there's little children on the ground just crawling around and the wife is taking care of them and making tea and we all have tea and she keeps the conversation going with this young man and and then pretty soon it's time to just say goodbye like there was no rhyme nor reason to it at all. And we get into the car and what was on my mind is how she barely nodded to the wife. And she's she I think I was in the back seat then and I, this image of her in the front seat and Swami Durgan, the then um, Margaret, but the now Swami Durgananda filing her nails. She files them and she says, so I didn't say anything to the wife. And I spoke to the gentleman in order to make it safe so that he would know that the wife could come down the road if she wanted to. And it's like, that was amazing what she just did. And a year later, the wife comes down the road. I forget her name now. This was back in the 80s or maybe the early 90s. And the wife comes down the road to take a community half the class. And... And, and with Swami Radha, it was like in all of that busyness and all of what was she was dealing with that summer, that she continued to be a channel even when she came out on this leisurely drive through the country. <laughs> and the wife came down the road, and then the next year, the young children came down the road. And the, the young children took, uh, I was teaching at the time, a class for yoga for young children, and it was for the community. And these children would come down the road and they would just go wild <laughs> in what was then my dance space, the Sheba Hall, but it was a nice, cool space. Now it's, now it's a library. Um, and so they, it made it safe for the wife and for the children. And it wasn't like Sony Rhoda was attached to any of that. Like it could have happened, it could not have happened. It wasn't like she was going to earn anything from having that. She just was a channel for something. And it really speaks to me of how she agreed to be that channel. And whoever was in front of her, she gave. And that really has impacted me and impacted the decisions that I make going forward. There's also that aspect of her inviting others in and wanting people to benefit from what is here. This is it. She just, she had that. 
the selflessness involved too as she's tired and wow yeah yeah that's precious okay one more story because <laughs> i know that we have to bring it to a close soon but as you're talking about that with with her being a channel and wanting something for others and inviting people in and there's this this image of then being uh, in Victoria with her, uh, and it was a, a trip I had taken with the, a couple of the others, and there was a reason for it. It was a meeting that we were going to, and so we meet with her, and then she says, well, let's all go out for uh, coffee and dessert, and we go out for coffee and dessert. We go to this very elegant restaurant. She's an elegant lady. She also taught us how to just enjoy life. It didn't have to be expensive. It wasn't like a huge dinner and it's all on her. It was, we're going to go out for coffee and a dessert. And at the time she had arthritis moving through her body and she couldn't have the coffee and dessert. She really had to watch what she was eating and but what she did is she had each of us order our special dessert. And then and then we were especially enjoying it. And then we look at her and we go, but you're not getting anything. And she says, oh, I don't have to get food. I can pick up the vibration of enjoyment just by your enjoyment. Hmm. So this very sensitive, sensitive woman who, who knew how to enjoy life and take care of others at the same time. Yeah. She was special. Yeah. Wow, that's really touching. And to want her students to, to also enjoy. Yeah, she knew how to do that. Yeah. Like that drive in the countryside going out for dessert. I'll, okay, I'll say one more story. <laughs> It was something that Swami Lalita Nanda, who's now the president, uh, said to me. We were, she and I were in Vancouver at the house that was in Burnaby at the time. And we went for a walk. We went to Mandeville Gardens, which was just down the road. And we walked through the flowers. It was a huge garden, very beautiful. I'm just enjoying the flowers. And she said, well, Swami Radha taught me to do this. Is You don't have to go out for the... the huge and enjoyment. I mean, you can, but you can also just take a moment and just walk in the gardens and enjoy what life has to offer. So that was kind of how Swami Rana took her teachings and made them come alive. It's like, you don't have to be sitting in a cave, which she did not encourage. Find your ways to be in that light-filled place, walking with the flowers and smelling the flowers and appreciating what life has to offer. <laughs> and that quality of living the practice, really. That's it. Yeah. Well, and now to kind of bring it back to today, I'm curious as to what you think or how you think uh, the teachings can help and what they can offer to people living in today's world. Mm, yeah. Well, I think what comes to mind is this year and last year, not as much, but this year more focused for me is looking at what happens with the people who come in for restorative retreats. 
I'm overseeing the people coming in, overseeing the program, not the people coming in, and making sure that the people who come in are given what they need and what they've agreed to come into. And what I see and experience is people come in really tired and stressed and a fair level of anxiety that's there. And the ashram in this, in this retreat offers two different ways that people can enter. And they can enter with where they offer service for two hours and then the rest of the day is to themselves. Or they offer service for four hours and the rest of the day is to themselves. And we offer the hatha in the morning and the amazing satsangs at nighttime and one workshop in the week that they're here. They can stay on longer, but it's a, a week minimum. And again, people come in looking tired and very soon into it, you see them start to smile <laughs> and to enjoy and to brighten up. And, and they're just joining the community and offering, offering from their hearts as well. And something starts speaking to them. And it's, it's absolutely amazing to see that happening. Like, without much, a lot happens. And I think what's coming to mind is a story from the other day where there was going to be a celebration here at the ashram. People were graduating from a two-week certification pr program. And another group of young karma yogis had come in and they were making a commitment to stay here for two months. And Swami Dalitananda, again, the then president, decides that it would be really nice to have ice cream, an ice cream party. And so she invites everybody over to the garden and, and, and everybody can come and have an ice cream cone. We'll sit. And she asked if there could be music and there's all kinds of musicians here because it attracts that kind of a person. And Noemi was playing on the accordion and and Shakti was playing the violin like background music everybody's sitting around enjoying having ice cream and I was in the office because people had come and they had just registered and they had just come down the road and and so we said to them would you like to come over to the party and the couple that came looked really tired they had driven and I couldn't tell what was happening for the man especially and all that looks like he's a little bit wary of what's happening here. And so Tracy drives them over. <laughs> they join the party, and I need to wrap things up, and I join the party uh, half an hour later. And and I see them coming out on the sidewalk, and they're just beaming from, from <laughs> one end to the other. And And they look at me, and they do the namaste, and they say, by the way, how do we greet people here? And I say, well, you could say namaste or you could say hello. And they went, okay, so namaste. And they carried on their way. Like immediately just being brought into the community has helped quite a lot of people because of the generosity and the kindness. And then there's the teachings. You know, uh, the teachings can meet anybody where they're at. I know that for myself from my own lived experience. But People come in and are offered some tools to help to strengthen. Like I was offered dance, and I was offered the Hatha Yoga Hidden Language, and mantra, and the Divine Light Invocation, all of these practices, which 
for me to strengthen me on the inside. It's not like building body muscle, but there's a different kind of muscle that, that is soft and fluid and strong on the inside. But people are offered that as part of their stay, and they have something to take back with them. And that's a pretty generic and general you know, answer, but that's given to anybody that comes in. And people continually say, just knowing that a place like this exists, like just knowing that, like they can come into it and they can go back to their busy lives and they can come in and replenish and recharge their batteries. And people do come pretty troubled and people are given what they need. And it's not like the ashrams trying to make anybody into anything. It's just, what does this person need? And what do we have to offer? And it's not telling anybody how to do anything either. It's just, we want to give back. And I know for myself, as I mentioned, it was like, I want to serve. Like this is, I have been given so much. Like my life has transformed and changed as a result of the teachings. And I want to give back from that. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, I've said this before in other podcasts, but I can definitely relate to that and the power of the teachings and the power of the community that's here too that allows for that process of going in and that process of relaxing and learning about the dance. Mm -hmm. The dance of life. The dance of life. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure to be here with you, and I'm so grateful, and I hope the listeners have some new glimpses of Radha to carry with them throughout the rest of their days. I hope so, too. <laughs> Thanks to you, Katie, so much. Namaste. Namaste. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Yashodra Ashram is located on the unceded traditional territory of the Tanaha and Sanaixt peoples. You can learn more about the ashram by visiting our website at yashodra.org. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. Until next time, I'm Katie Taher, and this is My Time with Radha.